Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners and a very, very warm welcome to this Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode. Today I'm joined by a gentleman from Atlanta in the United States of America by the name of Dr. Suvrat Bhargave, affectionately known as Dr. B. Dr. B, a very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm so glad to be here and to uh, share some insights together. And the word insight, very, uh, very useful introduction there, Dr. B, because uh, I think we're going to set the tone by the title, A Moment of Insight. Mm-hmm. Yes, that makes sense to me. That's the book that I've recently written called A Moment of Insight. And, and that word to me, insight, uh, I thought I understood it, uh, you know, maybe the first, first few times I heard it. But really, in getting to do the work that I get to do with people, I found that insight is such a crucial word, it's such an important word. Uh, and, and that's why I fit into the title of this book, A Moment of Insight. Hmm. So, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, people say, what's in a word? What's, you know, yeah. it's it's everything, isn't it? I think the more attuned and the more conscious we get, the more we actually realize how critical words are. That's right. And, and you know, to me, this, just like other words are as well, sometimes we gloss over, yeah, yeah I, I do know what that word means. But if you really sit and you think about what a word means sometimes, it it can really give you a very different uh, understanding and perspective. And so, you know, insight to me always was just, okay, me looking at me, but it's more than that. Um, As a psychiatrist, you know, when I get to sit with people all day long in my office and and talk about the the real difficult times in life and, and some of the struggles that we all have and that every one of us has some type of, of dilemma, um, insight becomes so crucial. Insight is when you finally have this moment where you pause and you look at something and you, and you see it in a way perhaps that you never really have seen it before. Um, I always say it's sort of like a pause in the perspective or it's a little crack in the window. It's where you have some recognition that this way of thinking or feeling or behaving that I have um, is or isn't working for me. And, and that's really, to me, where change begins. Um, Without that little moment of insight, it's hard to even be able to see what needs addressing. So insight to me is, is the point at which transformation even has a chance of occurring. Um, and sometimes it's a big moment, right? Sometimes it's like this really big um, aha kind of experience where you see something in a way that almost slaps you in the face. And other times it's just a subtle shift that makes you see yourself in some other, other way that you hadn't thought of before. Um, but it all begins with a moment of insight. Mm. Just listening to you, um, to you speak there, Doctor B. There were several things that were, were flashing through my mind. The first one, and, and obviously not to dwell on this too much, was around this perception. I think it was one of your fellow Americans, Tom Peters, who coined the phrase "perception is all there is," and how we can how we can look at things 
Um, simple example, an, a, you know, a pen. Hold a pen up in a room of 100 people and say, is this a good pen or is this a bad pen? Isn't, mm. isn't the reality that it's a pen? And, right. But we transpose our own filtering systems based on our conditioning on that to say, well, I think it's a really good pen or actually I think that's a really naff pen. No, it's not. It's not. It's just a pen. Perception is all there is. Yeah. And, and you know, to me, I think that's why insight is so much more powerful than just your sight. Mm. Right. I, you and I can both share the view of a pen and, and decide, you know, we're going to come to some understanding of, of what this is. But insight, is, it's, it's not even about what you think about the pen. Um, it's just how I perceive it. It's, it's about my willingness to put everything else aside, including the judgment and thoughts of other people, um, and simply sit with myself and what I believe. And that's why I think insight is so important because, you know, I, I feel like we can fool the world if you choose to do so, but uh, don't, don't fool yourself, right? Really kind of, especially not if you want to have some sort of change happen in your life. Then it's time to get really um, objective and 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 view yourself in a way that that's going to bring about change. And that's why insight has to be has to be something that you're going to be honest about and vulnerable about. And and it's it's powerful when you do so. Absolutely. It's hard. Mm. It's hard to do sometimes, but it is so powerful. Absolutely. One of the approaches I love in life personally um, and within the work I do, Dr. B, is is when I hear that three, that simple three letter word, that question, how? And for the next couple of questions um, that I want to ask you, they begin with how. How to shift the mainstream discussion from mental health to emotional wellness? That's a fascinating insight, just those few words. Tell us more about that. Yeah, thank you for asking about that because I feel so strongly that we need to have that shift. Um, you know, if I were to walk into a room full of people and and ask people to just try to be as honest as they can, but who in this room has a mental illness? Well, I, I feel like maybe a few people would be brave enough to raise their hands and, and, and most perhaps would hold back a little bit. But if I were to walk into the same room and say, who in here feels like they could stand to be more emotionally well? I think most of us would raise our hands and, and feel supported in, in doing so, right? That, you know, none of us has arrived completely at being emotionally the best version of who we can be. So we're all kind of a work in progress. And so emotional wellness to me is no different than the, the striving that we have to be well in other ways in our lives. You know, again, if I ask someone, so how are you doing, you know, physically, how are you doing? Um, no one questions what I'm asking. Uh, if I ask you how you're doing physically, if you've had something happen to you recently and you're recovering, you would tell me about that. Um, if you overall feel like you've been in a good state of health and you would tell me about that and what you do to do so. And, and if you're having some problems then you would tell me about that. So no one questions when I say, how are you doing physically? But if I ask people, you know, how are you, how are you doing emotionally? I think it throws people off sometimes. Uh, again, I'm a psychiatrist. So asking that in the context of my office is, is understood, but we don't spend enough time really giving consideration to our emotional well-being. And it goes just back to the parallels of physical well-being. If you're having a hard time with something, then let's talk about that. Let's figure out how to get you uh, through that dilemma. If you are doing well, then I want to know what are the uh, practices that you have in place that allow you to do well emotionally. But, but we need to give at least equal consideration to our emotional well-being as we do our physical well-being. 
And I would throw in there our spiritual well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think if you talk mind, body, and spirit, um, we hear that a lot. We say that a lot. It's a nice kind of catchphrase. Um, but are we giving equal weight to each part of, part of that tripod? Um, I don't think most people do. And I think we owe it to ourselves to give equal importance to all three. Yeah, just listening to that brought back. Um, and I've shared this on, on other episodes, Dr. B, that... Um, a man of the cloth said to me years ago uh, in my more colourful um, phase of life around mm. what he described as a hierarchy. And at the time, because of where my whole world was at, I hadn't got a clue what he was talking about. But it's mm. interesting how it's never left me. And he quoted to me what I now know to be the acronym SEMP, S-E-M-P. And he said... You think you're a bit of a you think you're a bit of a boy, don't you? Um, because in those days, I mean, my addiction was was rife, and I was I was out of hand and everything. I was a handful physically, and he said, "Let me tell you, that's at the bottom of the hierarchy. Next up, the ladder is the mental aspect, and then going further up towards being well." is the emotional, but the very top of the ladder is the spiritual element. And it's interesting, Dr. B, I've never forgotten that, that SEMP hierarchy, you know, whether it's right, whether it's wrong is another <laughs> debate altogether. Mm-hmm. But kind of listening to what you said there about, you know, adding in that spiritual, that tends to be one that as a massive generalization, people tend to shy away from a little bit from my experience. Have you found that? No, I completely agree. And by the way, I love this sound. That's going to sit with me for quite some time as well now that you're, you're saying that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, that I say, I think on the back cover of the book is, you know, the, the problem with, or, or the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, flaw in self-help is the notion of self. Mm. Right? I mean, what is the self? What are we talking about when we say the self? Is it the chattering um, discussion that's always going on in our heads? Is that the self? Is the self the, uh, if I you know, pinch myself on, on, on the arm, is that the self I'm talking about? What is the self? And, and to me, the, the spiritual aspect of who we are is where it's at. That's the self I'm talking about. I'm talking about what is what is the essence of who you are that goes beyond what you're thinking or feeling, what you go through, what you've done, what has been done to you? What is this self that we can count on? Um, and to me, the spirit and, and our connection to one another and to something bigger um, is the self that I really wish we would spend more time talking about. Yeah. Um, that brings, I mean, you know, yet again, that's a whole different conversation, um, insight into the, you know, the, the philosophy of duality, non-duality, who, and that great time old question, who am I? Mm, who am yeah. I? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that uh, the, in the book I talk about exactly that being the question that you actually have to start with if you're, if you're seeking transformation or change in your life or simply to live a life of purpose um it's it's the question you have to start with and you know sometimes you, you give yourself the smaller task leading up to a big task but i would say we actually have to jump in and go with the biggest question first mm-hmm. who am i uh and, and in the book i talk about how i started tackling that question as, as many people do um because i had to 
I got to a place in my life where it was a time of great despair from, for me in my own life. And I was trying to be what I thought everyone else needed me to be or what I thought was a standard that, that I should meet. Um, and I finally was so exhausted by it and discouraged by it that I, I had to stop and really face, you know, who am I? Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was life changing to try to start figuring that out. Yeah, because I think even on, um, and I'm kind of retracing the steps of my own um, emergence, evolvement here, call it what you will, around being going some way to at least being able to answer that question. And I don't necessarily mean from an intellectual level, because I think, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Dr. B, but it's not really a question that can be found in intellect, is it? Or is it? No. No, no, I completely agree. In fact, sometimes intellect might get in the way. Yeah. I think we, we rationalize things out so much that we lose our, our path. Yeah. I mean, certainly the way I try to communicate it, um, you know, this transference of take it out of the head and put it into the heart, which is a great, for me personally, a great analogy for that fear versus love dichotomy that mm-hmm. you know where are you going to spend most of your space because we do have a choice yes it takes practice and as you said in my humble opinion doctor be at the top of this conversation sometimes it ain't easy so let's not kid ourselves here um, right, right. It, it, it to me it's the most worthwhile work you will do yes it's work and yes it's a lot of work but at the end of the day it's the most worthwhile work you will do and you know it's daunting at first this question of who am i and and where do you even begin to figure that out? But I hope that as people, you know, kind of jump into that and really start exploring that, that it goes from being daunting to being being rather enticing. Mm. I mean, it's really exciting to find out who am I. Um, I should get to know me before I should get to know anyone else. And 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 for me to put myself out there, I first need to know exactly what it is I'm putting out there. So you know, this idea of who am I being overwhelming I, I get that and and it being exhausting yep I get that too but it is it should also be exciting and enticing and and, and we should want to find the answer to that um, in, in the book you know it's funny you, you you talk about all the intellectual piece of trying to figure that out um, I talked about in the book my grandfather who lived with us from the time that I was five and and um, you know brought with him so many things into my life, but he brought a spirituality into my world um, that I wouldn't have even known to call that in my childhood. Um, but he brought that into my life with just the way he lived life. He he was a religious man, um, but he was also someone who who questioned a lot and and was a spiritual man and explored these these concepts. And so he would ask me from a very young age. Every so often, he would ask me. Um, who are you? And uh, talk about intellect getting in the way. Um, as a child, especially, who just wanted to give him the answer he wanted so I could move on, um, I, I would try to answer it as intellectually as I could. I would, you know, I would say things like, well, I'm, I'm your grandson, which, you know, makes sense. Um, but he would turn that right back around on me and he would say, well, huh, okay, so when I'm gone, then who will you be? And I would say, well, I'm a student. And he would say, okay, well, when you graduate, who will you be? Um, No matter what intellectual answer I gave him, it never really answered the question he was asking me. And so one day, even when he gave me the answer, um, I was in such an intellectual space that I didn't really get it. Um, But one day, and talk about hearts, one day he asked me the question, and I think he could see that I was getting really frustrated. 
So he finally took my hand in his hand. He put my hand over my heart and he said, you are God. And I just paused and I surely couldn't understand what it was he was trying to tell me intellectually. And so I said, okay, well, thank you. And how can I move on, right? But what he was trying to tell me in that moment and what came back to me finally many years later at a low point in my life was there is something within you that is much bigger than the you that you give your time to right now. There's something within you that is much, much bigger than what you think you've achieved or not achieved or failed at or succeeded at. There's something much bigger than that. There's a divine essence within you. Um, and, and that's really what turned things around for me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And if I can just be allowed to share very briefly the, the practicalities, because um, I think it's very easy for us to get caught up into, and I'll use a general sort of term that's put to me um, consistently, Dr. B. Oh, it's okay for you, Paul. You've now got it sorted, talking about all this woo-woo stuff and love, unquote. Yeah. I mean, I'm paraphrasing yeah. there to kind of encapsulate the, you know, certainly when I come uh, go back to the UK, uh, the part of... Um, of the UK where I originally come from, very inner city, very tough area, uh, very earthy and very survival orientated. And, uh, you know, I get that leveled at me even now. And uh, my take upon that, and, you know, to put this, this journey in context that we're talking about, it's a question of choice. So I could still live in that dark, desperate world where I thought I was some kind of hard drinking, hard fighting. I won't say gangster. That'd be putting it too, you know, <laughs> be putting it too strong. But I mean, it it was brutal at times. Uh, has been brutal with years of addiction and you know limiting beliefs about who I thought I was because I was told kids like you, you just do as you're told. You'll be nothing, boy. Nobody'll ever love you. You're a complete yeah. waste of space. And don't you ever forget that. Because if you do, I want to give you something to remind you. Bang! And that was kind of uh, reinforced by physical torture just to, you know, to make sure that that lesson was never forgot from a very early age. And so to yeah. then peel back those labels and those layers over the years through research and faith and a whole host of things, you know, reinforcing what you've said yet again, Dr. B, this ain't easy and this isn't done in two minutes either. Um, but we start that journey. But to take start taking those labels off that people have given me and people very close to me as well, that inverted commas, you trust. Um, it's it can be, as you say, quite daunting. But to then find out, actually, I'm in this place now where I don't feel stressed too much. You know, I get the, the challenges of everyday life. Somebody's just cut me up as a, a motorist has just cut me up and I've had to do an emergency stop and my heart's beating and, oh, you silly so-and-so, why did you do that? You know, that moment of release. Still get those moments. I think they call it being a human being. Right, right. I don't know anyone who doesn't have those moments. <laughs> um, yeah. But we move on from it because we have that awareness, don't we, to say, well, actually, that angry violent uh, person that I was, that I'd cling to that incident for weeks, if not months. That's not who yeah. I am. That's truly who, not who I am. 
Yeah, and, and, and I completely agree with you. I, I think sometimes, you know, when we get into these discussions and, and you know, we all bring our own perspective and, and where we are in life into this conversation. And I, it's not even my place to say to someone, start where I started and say, well, there's a piece of something bigger or divine within me. You don't have to start with that. But I do think you have to say there may be more to who I am than what I've given myself the definition of so far, mm. right? And, and so far, my definition of myself has been, you know, if I do the right things, then I must be good. Or if people tell me, hey, good job, then I must be okay. If people tell me you're no good, then I must be no good. Um, at least find out if there's another way of looking at it than that. Because um, to me, what happens, I think, for, for so many of us, certainly from, a, from our childhood up, childhoods on, is that we equate what we do with who we are. So, you know, if I pass the test, then I was smart enough in the moment. If I fail the test, then I'm no good. Um, if uh, a bully uh, beats me up, then I must not have been good enough. Uh, if I have enough likes on social media, then gosh, I'm fine, right? So, so I think we have to at some point start to at least say who you are surely can't be as up and down as the way life is going to be up and down. Like you said, we all live life as part of being human. Um, and yet, if I can find a way to think of who I am as a more constant state, then it gives me a better foundation to deal with life's ups and downs. So I, like you, have to deal with what life brings me. And at different points in my life, it, you know, there are more challenges than other times. But what I can tell you is that in the, in the work that it took to figure out who am I, I don't anymore question my worth or value, which is rather amazing. I mean, for me, if I could go back to my 20-year-old self and say, hey, listen, there will come a time in your life where you'll still have to deal with it, but you won't doubt your worth anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't even think my 20-year-old self would believe that. Um, so, so to, to get to a point where I can tell you truthfully that that, that is the case, um, that I, that I don't doubt, um, my value worth or that I, I am deserving of, of being loved and respected. Um, that was worth the work right there. If, if that was what I got out of all the work, Hey, that, that's pretty great. And there is a way to do that. Whether you, you start from a theological, spiritual perspective, or you simply start as a objective scientist wanting to find out what's the rest of the story that I've denied myself. Um, begin somewhere because it's worth finding that out. It is. And when you were speaking there, Dr. B, what went flash through my mind was, um, and this is leading nicely into the second how question, it's about ed educators, teachers, practitioners, you know, whatever, whatever adjective prevails, whatever noun prevails, um, for, for the guides in our lives, the people that can help us. And I, I love what you said about, you know, just because this worked for me, it's not, you know, there's, a, there's never a one-size-fits-all model because we are totally unique, literally. Um, mm. But there's some kind of general guiding principles, isn't there, to the point when I love that old adage, we're a good teacher will give you guidance where to look, but not tell you what to see. I mm, love that. Love that. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, you know, again, I can look back on the teacher that uh, many of my teachers, the one that I mentioned is my grandfather. Yeah, no, he was very determined to not tell me exactly what it was that he wanted me to see. Now, even when he told me 
that answer. I thought I was done now that he's given me the answer. But no, that was just the next nudge. Uh, and, and then it was up to me to decide what I was going to do with that, that other nudge. So yeah, I agree with you. I think some of the, the best teachers let us find it out. And, and we do have to find the way that works for us individually. Um, you know, what's been amazing about the work that I get to do as a psychiatrist is um, in, in the 20 years of sitting with people who each of us has our own individual stories, right? We, we all have our stories. But it turns out the things that most of us are struggling with, the doubts that we're still dealing with or facing despite our stories are very much the same. Um, and there's certainly nothing that you have felt that I haven't felt. There are things I've gone through that you haven't gone through and, and certainly the other way around. There's nothing really that you felt that I haven't felt. And so there was some reassurance to me in, the, in getting to be a psychiatrist that we really are more alike than we are different. And along the way of helping people uh, navigate through their individual dilemmas, it turns out that the way to get through them are also generally the same. Um, and so, you know, my attempt, for example, in the book, or what I love about the discussions like you and I are having right now is I wanted to hear how you did it. Uh, thank you for listening to how I did it. But it turns out that some of the uh, steps to get there very much overlap because we're really not that different. Always. Absolutely. I want to ask you, Dr. B, um, certainly in the, the personal development uh, realm, there's, there's this... Um, how can I best describe it? Well, phrase, let's just say phrase about um, let's help to fix you. Almost mm. as if you're some kind of mechanical machinery. What, mm. what, what, you know, as a, as a professional uh, and as a human being, if you could even separate the two, what's your thoughts when you hear that? Um, and I'll, you know, I'll resist my own implants on that at the moment, but your own thoughts around well, actually, Dr. B, I feel like I'm broken and I need fixing. What, what would be your response to that, either personally, professionally, and or both? Mm, yeah. So in either scenario, personally or professionally, what I would say is when I hear someone say that, you know, if, if you need fixing, that means you're broken. And if you think you're broken, then there's some degree of shame that you're carrying around with you. And to me, the, the greatest um, weight that drags us down from really understanding who we are and from living a life that is purposeful is when we carry around shame. And on some level, uh, I would say most, I, I won't say all because I don't wanna make blanket statements, but I think most of us have carried around some shame. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it's you know where we come from, sometimes it's what we've been through, sometimes it's uh, what we've done, You know, many, many different reasons as to why we might feel shameful, but if you feel so strongly that uh, I need fixing, and look, we all have things we need to work on, but if you feel so, so strongly I need fixing again, what is it that needs the fixing? And what is the shame that you might be carrying around? Um, and, and I would say that the shame probably isn't one thing and it isn't um, just one layer. It's, it's many layers of a couple of different types of things that are all kind of perhaps linked together, but but it, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier the more you, you leave it in the corner and in the shadows. So you have to bring that out. Um, and in my role as a psychiatrist, sometimes that's the first thing we do in the session is to say within these four walls, you will not be judged. Um, you are always safe. Let's talk about it. Let's go to that place of, of what you've been so reluctant to talk about or deal with and let's go there. Um, for me personally, you know, the, the shame that I carried around for so long was as an anxious person, 
as an anxious child, I was always doubting. I was always second guessing, always doubting, always kind of feeling unsettled and like I wasn't on, on solid ground. And, and therefore, you know, trying to be a pleaser and trying to be perfectionistic, all of that, uh, never feeling like I'd really reached the point of, of being good enough. And then when you're an anxious child who then gets bullied, now, again, you, you've got, you think in your head, at least, you've got some tangible proof that someone saw through you and realized that sure enough, you don't deserve to be treated well. Um, and so then that goes on. And then the other thing that I share in the book um, that I'll share with your listeners as well is uh, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And so for me, that was the nail in the coffin. That was the, the biggest damning proof, if you will, that I sure enough was not good enough, that even this had now occurred and, and somehow I played a role in that. Um, so, so getting to the point of being around 20 years old and now weighed down by that kind of shame it's no wonder I was exhausted. It's no wonder I, I reached a point of desperation. Um, and, and thank goodness that it then turned things to the point where I, I decided I had to do something about this. I had to figure this out. But shame to me, I think, is, is the thing that comes to mind when I hear someone say about, you know, I, I need fixing or you, what are you going to do to fix me or you can't fix me. Um, let's talk about the shame. Fascinating link there. Fascinating insight to, to, and I've not heard that before, to link that word shame in. That, that is very insightful. Thank you for that, Dr. B. Thank you. What would you say to, to fix? What was I just dismiss it totally. I mean, I don't, yeah, obviously, as a professional, you've given the real kind of insightful answer and the mechanical sort of um, aspects of it. For me, I just dismiss it and I come yeah. at it from a... Um, a different perspective to say that, you know, I think I offered it at the top of the question that, what well, are you, some kind of bike or machinery or, you know, mm. you're not a mechanical lawnmower where it's run out of petrol or, or what have you. I think yeah. it's true to say that from a compassionate perspective, which we're, where I try and come from is, we'll lose our way from time to time. You know, we are human beings, you know, and by definition that, there are degrees of vulnerability that go with that. And particularly, I think, at the risk of stereotyping for, for guys to admit that vulnerability, what they perceive as weakness, is a big thing. And, and, and I speak from personal experience on that for, for decades, not just, you know, for a, a sort of few years. So there's this whole kind of thing that goes off, isn't there, around the, you know, we're back to square one, what's in a word? Um, yeah. But I personally, uh, Dr. B, feel very strongly when I hear that term, well, well, you know, I feel like I'm broken, you know, and I need fixing. Okay, well, let's let's change the language and let's change the energy straight away around that thought process that you're creating in your own mind because you're creating mm -hmm. this this culture of fear. You're, you're, you're actually putting yourself in jail, locking the door and throwing the keys away if you're going to hold that thought. Mm, yes, no, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And, and, and I resonate with what you say about men in particular. I think, you know, we've been, um, we've, uh, most of us have grown up in, in areas or cultures or uh, upbringings that would have had, have us believe that it's not um, a manly thing to do to, to really deal with or talk about your emotions or your insecurities. And so, um, you know, that would lend itself to thinking, well, if I'm not supposed to have to deal with this and I'm 
finding myself feeling this way, then I truly must need some fixing, right? So I, I think for men in particular, and, and you know, for many of the men that I see in my practice, um, I think what finally got them in to come in and say, I, I need to do something, I need to get some help, is by not expressing it, it was simply coming out in ways that was not working, yeah. right? So I think for, for many men, many of us um, have to kind of give importance to our well-being. And again, going back to where we began, but to our emotional well-being as much as our physical well-being. Um, men are stereotypically at least pretty notorious for not reaching out for medical treatment or preventative care, and certainly not to stop and talk about our emotional needs or our, our emotional development. Um, in fact, many men don't even know how to identify or, or express what it is that they're feeling. So, so for men in particular, I, I think it is really, it is a message that we should all be telling one another as men that not only is it okay, it's so important to do. It's so important for us to give as much importance and value to how we are emotionally as we are physically, as we are spiritually. Yeah. And um, just as we start to come to a close now, Dr. B, what you've just said there, I think yet again fits nicely into the uh, the second how question that uh, uh, was going to dive down into. But I want to invite you back again, if I may, um, on a separate ep episode to to deal with. And I just want to plant the seed now because it where you finish this or where we finish this particular conversation lays a nice solid platform for starting the next one if you come back um, around educators, how educators can identify and help children suffering from mental conditions. Because what that encapsulates for me there, just listening to what you were saying, Dr. B, was this whole thing, this whole concept, adage, cliche, call it what you will, of big boys don't cry. And I'd, right. and I'd like to dive down in a, in a subsequent episode around just that, that whole conditioning and, and everything that it brings with it. Well, let me say, first of all, I would love to be back and, and I welcome the opportunity to not only be back to talk about whatever topics uh, your audience would find interesting, but that one in particular, I think is so crucial for the times that we're in right now. You know, when you talk about anxiety disorders, um, they are literally on the rise. We are in a, a mental health crisis point across the globe. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that our, our young ones are expressing anxiety at levels that we've, we've never seen before. And so if we don't do something about this, if we don't give educators and the adults in the lives of young people um, the tools to be able to turn around and identify what children are going through and then give them the tools to deal with it, uh, we are really reaching a tipping point. So yeah, I welcome that conversation. I think it'd be great. Superb. Um, so I, as, I, as I invariably do, Dr. B, I close, um, I close my, uh, my podcast conversations, uh, our podcast conversations, with um, a big question right at the end. But before I come to that question, I just want to, um, to ask you to share your contact details, how people can reach out to you, how they can find out more about your book, A Moment of Insight, universal lessons learned from a psychiatrist coach so please feel free to share as many uh, contact details as, as you deem appropriate wonderful thank you for that uh yeah so the book is called a moment of insight uh, and as you read the tagline is universal lessons learned from a psychiatrist couch um, this is my way of passing on the wisdom that has come from thousands of people at difficult times and and trying to say if these are the things that matter 
to this many people in the, in the safe space of a, a psychiatrist's office, that this is what we should be talking about. So it's my attempt to kind of give a manual for living a purposeful life. Um, it, the book is available on Amazon, so um, you can certainly find it on Amazon and whatever format works best, so Kindle or paperback or hardback. Um, it is also on Audible. I did uh, record the book myself. Uh, I felt like it's an important thing to speak your truth yourself. And so uh, I, I got in the studio and figured out how to do that. And, and, and that's a good experience. Uh, and then I'm available and, and ready to uh, contact with people on Facebook. The Facebook page is called A Moment of Insight as well. Um, and then on Instagram, it's Dr. B Moment. Uh, and my hope is that uh, much like what you've done here with the podcast, that we can create a community where emotional well-being is a, is a topic that will be discussed openly, freely, um, and will be valued, not just tolerated, but really valued. Um, so I'd love to hear from your listeners as, as to what they've done and what they've gleaned, uh, what kind of insights they've had. Superb. Thank you for that, Dr. B. And um, so to the big question then. So I want you to imagine we're in our, we're two strangers waiting for the lift and it's the proverbial elevator pitch, 30 seconds to go up to the next level. And me and you or whoever it is, we get in this lift as total strangers and we, you know, there's, there's this miraculous conversation that sparks, oh, so so you're a doctor, are you? Um, yeah, okay, psychiatrist. Right, Dr. B, tell me, by the time this lift gets to the next floor, what's the one piece of advice that you'd give to the world? Wow. Uh, so my, my piece of advice in that short bit of time, and I hope we're going all the way to the penthouse, but I would say <laughs> uh, when, when it comes to understanding who you are, please know that who you are is not what you do. It is not the sum of what you have felt. Um, it is not even what was done to you. Who you are is something much bigger and greater and, and is worth exploring because when you recognize who you are, you have the chance to live yourself completely and not only is that good for you, that really is good for everyone else who's around you. So as a psychiatrist, I get to help people figure out all the potential that lies beneath whatever you thought defined you. Superb. Dr. B, thank you very much indeed for your imparts, your insights, and um, you know this, this beautiful dance that I feel has evolved. And, and I, know, I know that the listeners will have found this uh, immensely useful. So sincere gratitude for you, uh, to you for your shares. Thank you. Well, many thanks to you and many thanks to your listeners. I look forward to being back. So there we are, listeners. There we have it. And all that remains now is for me to say, as I always do at this point, remember, no matter what you do in life, always walk your path with heart. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.